journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Good afternoon to everyone who has tuned in. Thank you for joining me for the next, I think, about 45 minutes where we are journeying the Bible. We are in Parashat Toldot, that is chapter 27 of Genesis. And we're getting to a pretty exciting part right now in that we are now going to see how, I'm using the word allegedly, um, with much purpose, that Jacob steals the blessings away from Asa, from his brother Esau. And I'm using the word allegedly because we cannot accept um, that to be the case. Why? Simply because we know that our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were, they were saints. They were tzaddikim. They were very, very holy people. And certainly holy people do not go around stealing, um, as we understand stealing in the common phrase um, of our, our, our day-to-day uh, uh, vocabulary. Um, this was something that needed to be connived and needed to be taken because it was, in fact, rightfully his. As we know, um, Jacob bought the birthright from Esau. Um, he was very well aware that that was the case. Secondly, we're going to go and see that his mother actually becomes his, his accomplice to him getting the, the blessings. And, in fact, she is acting as well on holy grounds insofar as that when that she was pregnant and she had to and, and and she didn't understand the struggle of the babies in her womb, she was told that the older will serve the younger. And therefore both Yaakov and Rivka, his mother, act in holy intentions and in the correct intentions in restoring that which rightfully belongs back to him. Last week we had a lot of discussion about things that are held back from us um, before death and asking the question why. If you missed that podcast, please feel free to go back on the High FM podcast and uh, listen to it. It was actually a very fascinating discussion. Uh, if you'd like to send a comment, 34519 is our SMS line, 0618951019 is our telegram number. In the meantime, for those that are um, at home or listening to this now, or if you're listening to the podcast later, you can follow in, open up Genesis, the book of, of Bereshit, look at chapter 27, Perichof Zion. We're looking now in Pasuk Gimel in verse 3. Where we left off was that God says, and God, apologies, um, Yitzchak says to Asa, behold, I am old, I don't know the day of my death, so what do I want you to do? He now instructs him, Ve'ata, and now, Sana Khelecha, take your gear, Telyecha, Ve'kashtecha, your sword and your bow, Ve'tzei Hasade, go out into the field, Field and trap me some game, meaning go catch some uh, some animal for me. And then prepare a delicacy for me the way that I like it. And bring it to me. And I will eat it. So then my soul will be able to bless you before you die. 
Now, interestingly, he tells him to take a sword um, and his his bow to go kill the animals. And really, the question is, why do you need both? You know, normally um, it would be enough just to have a ritual slaughter knife. Uh, and uh, if you used a ritual slaughter knife, which we know that our uh, rabbis, our shochtim, particularly use um, to slaughter an animal the kosher way, that would be sufficient. Let's just talk a little bit about this ritual slaughter knife. It is a very, very, very sharp knife. The shaykhet, the, the, the ritual slaughterer, before he goes and slaughters animals, will check that it doesn't have any nicks or doesn't have any uh, little obstructions on it that would um, in, inadvertently hurt the animal when when it is slaughtered. They actually check it against their skin to check how uh, sharp it is. Um, and that is that that is sufficient in order to uh, slaughter an animal and have it as kosher. But now, um, when we are looking at this, at this verse particularly, Isaac is saying, "Take, I'll take your bow and take your your sword." So why does he say that? Because in Talmudic times, people actually knew how to slaughter a kosher animal ritually by firing a, um, an arrow at its throat. So the arrow would have a long blade, very similar to what the the knife of a shaykhet would look like today. And this blade would be very sharpened, would, would be sharpened uh, a lot, so to eliminate any nicks. And then what would happen is if the, the guy was skilled enough, the arrow would then be carefully aimed so that the blade would slit the animal's throat as if it was done by a, a, a shaykhet. And even a bird in flight could be killed in such a manner. Now, obviously, this required extraordinary skill. And if an arrow was misaimed slightly, it could penetrate the throat at a wrong angle, exert too much pressure, or render the animal not kosher. So Yitzhak was telling Asaph to be very, very careful so that the meat that he brought would be kosher. So therefore, he tells him, you take taliyecha vekashlecha, both your sword and your bow, bow, and you go out and you trap. Also, one of the things that he made sure is to 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 intimate to uh, Asab that um, he needs to go out into the field. Why? He didn't want Asaf to go. Uh, take any animals that appear to be herded together because they possibly might have owners and of course then taking them would, would, would constitute robbery. So he, he was very, very specific to tell him to go into the field to the animals that were, were, were public, um, were, that the animals were in a public domain. Now what's interesting is that you will see an interplay here as we go through the verses that uh, Yitzchak says to his son, he calls him Benoah Gadol, my big, my great son, because we know that he was fooled by Esau and thinking that he was his great son. You will see that Rivka, when she starts speaking about her sons, will be speaking about my big son and my small son. And there's an interplay here in just understanding that both parents um, understood who, were the, who was the eldest and who was the youngest, 
but there was a difference in interpretation about who was the greater of them. As we spoke before on the podcasts and on the show, uh, Yitzchak was, was, was fooled or he believed that Esau had enough potential to be the greater of the two, whereas Rivka believed in the potential of the younger one. And finally, before we go uh, for the break, you will see there also that he asks him to make food. But he said, make food that is tasty. Why was he saying that you need to make food that was tasty? Because generally, one gets a lot of enjoyment when one looks at food. But the um, when you are blind, as Yitzhak was, the food cannot just look good. It's got to be Tasty. It's got to be matamim. Tasty, because that is the way that his soul would have pleasure, that he would derive pleasure, and we know that one can only um, have the divine presence lying upon a person when one is in a satisfied, one is in an elated mood, and that is when one is able to bless. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. When we get back, we will continue. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. If you've reached a stage where you're delving between couch cushions and looking under car seats with the hopes of finding a few bucks, it's time to SMS Outsurance. They could either save you money on your car insurance every month or that you can ask them for 500 Rand cash if they don't. And if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years, you can even ask for 1,500 Rand. So don't leave an empty pocket to drive you to the extreme. SMS out to 40251 and Outurance will call you back. Outurance is a licensed insurer and FSP, T's and C's apply. Welcome back and uh, we are now going to be following in uh, what actually happens when a, when Rebecca, Rivka, hears what instruction Yitzchak gives to Esav. Now, this is verse 5 of chapter 27, if you are following in. Rivka had been listening while Yitzchak was speaking to his son Esav. And what happens to Esav? Esav um, Esav immediately takes up the call of what his father has asked him to do, and he goes out into the field to trap game to bring it home. Right, so off he went into the field. You can see there's quite a lot of a, a sense of him being very determined that if he doesn't fight wild game, he will steal whatever he needs to bring home. So basically he was determined to bring it no matter what. So what happens then? Verse 6 Rivka Amra El Yaakov Rivka says to her son, Yaakov, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother, saying, Bring for me game, and make it a delicacy, make it into something delicious. And I will eat it. And I will bless you in the presence of God before I die. So again, she too recognized, as we said last week, the reason why Yitzchak was so insistent was that it was the night before Pesach. 
There were angels reciting special praise to God. Their treasuries containing the dew of blessing were open, and therefore he wanted to bless Asaph. How? Lifnei Hashem, before God, meaning that God would agree to the blessing, and if he received the blessing, um, it would be gotten through divine inspiration, through Rocha Kodesh, and um, that will be a blessing set in stone. So she says to her son, Yaakov, I've heard your father say that. Now this is verse 8. And now, Bini, my son, Shema Bekoli, you listen to me. What I will, what instructions I will give you. Verse 9. Run to the sheep. Choose for me two choice young kids. I will cook them as a delicacy for your father. I have the way that he likes it. And you will then take it to your father. And he will eat it so that he will be able to bless you before he dies. Now, there is a lot of symbolism in what she is telling him. First of all, she is telling him to go and choose lambs. Okay, why? Number one, firstly, the Jewish people are likened to a lamb, God being our shepherd. We have the temperament of lambs. And um, since Yaakov, through prophetic vision, Rivka knows that Yaakov is going to father the Jewish nation, he says it would be of great benefit that you bring lambs because that will in, in turn affect the Jewish people. Now, since it was the day before Pesach, she asked for two lambs. Why? Because one would be needed for the Korban Pesach, one would be needed for the, the Passover sacrifice, the other for the Chagiga offering, for, for, the, for, for the offering that we would give during festival times. We're also told that these two lambs were representative of the lambs that eventually would be brought in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. Okay, um, They're sacrificed in the temple. One lamb we know goes to its death and takes away our sins, and the other is sacrificed and used in the temple. Now, again, this was symbolic that the two gids, the two lambs that Yaakov would be bringing to his father would allow Yaakov to overcome Esau's guardian angel. And that, that same thing that will happen by him will also happen for the, uh, the descendants because that's, the goats have the same thing there. Um, she initially tells him, by the way, to go find these lambs in the marketplace, but if not, she says, go and find them in your father's flocks, because in the marriage contract, um, one of the things that Yitzhak promised Rivka every single day was two kids. And um, she said that even though Asa uh, was going to go out and he was going to hunt, which means you bring back venison, um, cooking lamb has the same taste. And so the taste of the, the, the meal will be indistinguishable and, and uh, Yitzhak will not know the better. So here again, even though we are reading a story 
and the story of how uh, Yaakov receives the blessings, nevertheless it is, it is laden with many, many interpretations about what will happen and how we, how we will react and what we will, we will get as the Jewish people in the future. Again, the adage of Abase Avot Siman Lebanen, that which our fathers have done, it is a sign for the, for the children that that too will, will, will happen. And so, um, she's very, very, very specific, Rivka, as to how many animals and which animals, etc., etc., because she knows that in doing what she's doing right now, it will have a tremendous effect um, for the Jewish people ad infinitum right up until this day. Yaakov, Jacob, understandably, is very, very nervous. Okay, um, he is a man of truth. Yaakov, um, the, the sphere, the, the, the energetic level through Kabbalah of Yaakov is Emet, um, his truth. And so he wouldn't do absolutely anything that would be contrary to that. And that is why I preface this whole story to say, under no circumstances can we think or can we believe that um, what is happening here is an underhanded, conniving plot of mother and son. It is rather a mother and son manipulating the spiritual realms in a way that, that is allowed. And we're going to go and elucidate on that a little bit more to ensure that um, it is, in fact, it was done in a correct manner. Again, let us say that, that nevertheless, Yaakov is a man of truth, and so he gets very nervous. By Yomer Yaakov El Rivka, this is verse 11, El Rivka Imoy, to Rivka his mother, Hen Esav Achi Ish Sa'ar, Behold, my brother is a hairy man. He's a man of hair. The Anochi ish chalak. I am smooth-skinned. Ulai musheni avi. What happens if my father touches me? The hayita be'enav kim tate, and he will then realize um, that I will be in his eyes. He will see me as an imposter. And what will happen then is that I will bring, um, I will bring upon myself a curse, not a blessing. So you can see there that he is really, really nervous about that. He doesn't want to deceive his father and he, he, he doesn't want his father to think that he's making fun of him, that he will hate him. Um, as it says, cheating another person is as bad as worshipping idols. And so he gets really, really nervous, and he says to his mother, you know, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll land up with a curse, not a blessing. But Tomer no Imo, his mother replies to him, On me is your curse, Bani, my son. Just go and listen to me and go and bring it to me. Meaning, says Rivka to uh, Yaakov, if your father blesses you, the blessing will be yours. But if he curses you, then the curse will be directed on me. Furthermore, she does tell him that it was revealed to her on high that no curse will come 
to Yaakov. And even if uh, Yitzhak were to get angry and speak harshly, there was nothing to fear. Okay, so she went and said, your curse shall be upon me, my son. What does it mean? It's uh, because basically what Yaakov was really saying, he was arguing logically. It's likely that I will lose more than, uh, than this, uh, in, in this attempt than to gain. And that what happens if my father does it? And if I lose it, it's, it's certain. Like the gain, you can't confirm, you can't promise me that I'm going to go get the blessings. So Rivka does try to assuage his feelings and says, your curse, my son, will be upon me. And if you should, uh, and, and, and you should also be worried, said Rivka between the lines, that if you don't listen to me, you'll, you'll be cursed by me. You'll be cursed for disobedience. And I know for sure that your father uh, will not will 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 not curse you. How, why was Rivka speaking like this? Rivka was speaking like this because she knew from prophecy from the time that she she had got prophecy on on the babies in the womb that Asaph will land up serving Yaakov, and so this was the right thing to do. And so she continued to speak to Yaakov in this manner until she convinced him and he, he became compelled to do as she required. In fact, we're told that he started crying um, as he carried out her orders. This was completely against his grain to dabble in any sort of deception. What did he do? He went. And he took and he brought to his mother. Okay, which means that he went and got the, the two lambs. But Taz Matamim, his mother prepared delicacies, Kasher Ahav Aviv, and the way that his father liked. She prepared the delicacies the way that Isaac liked it. Now here's something interesting. Vatikah Rivka, it big day Asav Banahagadol. Now here we're going to see where Rivka is talking about her older son and her younger son. She takes the clothes of Asaph, her son, Bena Hagadol, her older son, Hachamudot Asher Ita Babait, the ones that she was keeping in her house, Vatilbash et Yaakov Bena Hakatan, and she dresses Yaakov, the younger son, the et Orot Gedae Haizim, Hilbisha al Yadav. And she places the skins of the young kids on his arm, the al halkat tzavarav, and on the hairless part of his neck. What does this all mean? Well, we know that if there was only one thing that we recognized about Asa um, that he did correctly, it was that he was extremely careful in honoring his father. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel once said, and this is a quote from the Gemara, I honored my father all my life, but I never did even one hundredth of what Asaph did. When I brought him, says Rabbi Gamliel, when I brought, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, when I brought him food, washed his hands, or cleaned his house, I put on my oldest clothes so not to soil my good garments. And when I went out of the house, I changed into my good clothes. Asaph, on the other hand, 
had the most precious garments and he used those to serve his father. He would say it would not, it was not proper to serve one's father in ordinary clothing. One must wear royal garments. Now, we've discussed this earlier on that Asaph had extremely precious leather garments, which he had received not directly, but indirectly from Adam. We've spoken about this before. Okay, they were more beautiful than the finest royal robes, and Asaph had given them for safekeeping in his mother's chest so that they would always be ready. And if his father called upon him, he would be able to put them on immediately. And that's why um, we have another quote from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that says, no one fulfilled the commandment of honoring, honoring one's father as Asaph did. Regarding this, it says, Malachi, a son honors his father. And because of this merit, his descendants, Rome, the Western world, will dominate the entire civilized world. Again, here, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, we are speaking about looking at the practical verses of Torah and understanding that everything that was done, every action that was taken, every course that was, 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 was charted out was a Mase Avot Simon, Simon Lebanin. Whatever our forefathers did was a, a thing for the future for us. So just as Rivka worked with Yaakov, to attain the blessings because that's what it was supposed to be. She was basing it on the fact that she had received prophetic vision. So too, we can see that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how wicked Asaph was, how, 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 how um, irresponsible he was as a human being and how he, um, he really was murderous um, and, and, and unintegrous. Nevertheless, just for the simple one mitzvah that he did complete correctly, that is, love of his father, his descendants dominated the entire civilized world. We see it today. Rome is representative of America, England, and the entire Western world, and they dominate the civilized world to this day. Why? Because Asaph was very, very careful in kibbutz Av, in honoring his father. Now, there was another reason that Asaph had Rivka hold his garments. Why? They were very precious. And though Asaph was wicked, and you remember he married wicked women, he did not entrust them to his wives. Even though he loved them very much, he knew they were, um, they were immoral. And um, he knew that the only person who he could legitimately give these two that would uh, they would be looked after 100% was his mother because she was a sedacus. So here again, we can see that nowhere can we cast a, a doubt on Rivka or Yaakov that they were in fact duplicitous. Yaakov himself says to his mother, I can't do this. Um, it's, it's a curse, not a blessing. And by the very fact that the most wicked Asaph can trust his mother more than his wives, just shows how honest uh, Rivka was at, uh, as well. So um, one other thing that I just want to bring up is that uh, Yaakov would wear these garments when he went out to hunt. This time he left them at home. And we're going to actually need to understand that 
when uh, when we get back after this break. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. They are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in t- into assisting us when life has stopped. These are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebrew Kedusha Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service has been more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change that. Zion Adar is the day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the services of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box. Shabbat meals and gifts for Shabbat, the 19th of February, the Shabbat of Zion Adar. Please honor our heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, you can go to our website, www.chayfm.com, and honor our heroes is a Chayfm community initiative. And I certainly second that. There are tremendously selfless people, um, and certainly this is an initiative that is well worth supporting. So please go ahead and do that. Right, we're still trying to understand what is happening now um, simultaneously on two fronts, what Yaakov is doing, what Esav is doing. Why did Esav not take uh, the garments? Okay, um, well, we are told, first of all, he got himself into trouble because he didn't take them with him. Now, if you remember, the other thing we spoke about with the garments is that it subdued the animals. And because he went out, um, uh, he, 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 it took him longer than usual to get what he needed to do. Also, another, another uh, uh, explanation is that he only needed them when he went out far afield, like where there were many dangerous animals, so he didn't take them. The other um, explanation as to why these garments were at home was because it wasn't only one garment. When these garments were given to Adam, if you go back into Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, you will see that God clothed him in robes of skin. It was in the plural, which means that, um, that, that, that Asaph had robes. He had many, many garments. Okay, and so you can see over here, it's orot g'da'e ha'izim. Orot, um, the skins, um, the, 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 sorry, uh, sorry, chamudot, asher itavabait. And though they are in plural, and so is orot. And therefore, um, we understand that he had more than one. Now, why did Asaph have them in the first place? We spoke about that also, but again, um, important to emphasize, he was, or he thought he was, the firstborn. And now in those days, we know that all sacrifices were offered by the older son, and he would wear the special vestments. Adam wore them. Adam gave them to Noah's older son, Shem. Shem gave them to Abraham. Abraham had passed them on to Yitzchak, and... Yitzchak gave them to the, his oldest son, Asaph. Um, when, uh, when Yitzchak saw Asaph's sons worshipping idols, he was concerned that they would get, uh, they, they would get defiled, so he gave them to Rivka for keeping, and back at the ranch though, Rivka knew that Asaph had sold the birthright to Yaakov, and therefore, there was no reason why Yaakov could not wear these vestments. So he, she places them um, on his arms, 
and on the hairless part uh, part of his neck. And here is the significance of where you see the Torah referring to Esav as her older son and to Yaakov as her younger son. What is this um, all meaning? That Number one, she didn't do anything dishonest with the clothing. She was given the, the garments for safekeeping and she gave them to Yaakov because Yaakov was the rightful son. She was told that she would have two sons and that the greater one will be a slave to the younger. Now, halachically, if that is true and that was the prophecy, then one can use the garments of a slave for the master because everything that belongs to the slave actually belongs to the master. Um, in Judaism, it's, it's said that whatever a slave acquires belongs to his master. So from a halachic perspective, she, there was no problem for her uh, to, to put them on. But in her God-fearing way, Rivka was also looking for a sign from on high that, that when she put Yaakov, um, put on Esau's garments on Yaakov, they were right. Now, that's why the Torah speaks about Benah Gadol and Benah Katan, because Esau was much bigger. Um, Esau was the larger son, um, and Yaakov was the much smaller son. But those two words come to teach us that the, um, that, that there was, that it was a sign of divine providence that what she was doing was right because when she put Asaph's clothing on Yaakov, um, they shrunk to his size. We see another precedent about that when Shaul, when Saul comes in and puts clothes on David. Okay, um, Shaul gives David's clothes. We know you can look that up in, in the book of Samuel. King Shaul was extremely tall. And we know that David was very small and uh, the garments also then shrunk and fitted David perfectly, and that was a sign that King David would defeat Goliath and eventually become king. So literally, the Torah says, Rivka took the precious garments of Asaph, her larger son, and put them on her smaller son, Yaakov, meaning that everything was to be fitted absolutely perfectly. So again, there is no question here. No, 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 um, Hashash, no, no, uh, what's the word? Why have I forgotten the word now in the middle of the day? There was no, um, worry that in fact there was any type of deception. And finally, Vatiten eta matamim, she gives him the delicacy, the eta lechem, and she gives him the bread, um, Ashera Sita biyad Yaakov bana, which she had made for Yaakov. She accompanies Yaakov as far as the door, and she says to her son, um, as the Midrash says, until now I have been able to help you. Now, however, you must rely on your own merit. May Hashem help you. I cannot go in with you, since if your father discovers this deception, that this deception was my idea, it could Caused much harm. And again, this is a Masse Avot Siman Lebanim. It is a sign for the future that we indeed, like our forefather Yaakov, are lambs. We're tiny, tiny little lambs that are going to be thrown out 
into a dark world. And it is going to be on our merit, on, our, on, on what it is that we do, that we will be able to navigate this dark um, material world where we, as our forefather Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, we need to bring light into it. And so you can see again everything that our forefather is doing um, is, is in fact something for us. And I think this is where we are going to draw the line um, just in terms of where we're, where we're learning because next week we are going to actually listen to now the conversation between, uh, ya between Yaakov and his father Yitzhak. So on that note, I wish everybody a wonderful week ahead, a, a, a good week, a week filled of positivity, of, of light, of mitzvahs, even though we do feel sometimes quite afraid and quite alone. We have the strength of our forefather, um, Yaakov, with us, that we can step into places where there is a lot of deception, a lot of negativity, and we can, in fact, bring light. And not only that, we have been blessed on high through our forefather, Yaakov, that we have the ability to do so. So let's move forward. Let's uh, do more kindness because we're almost at the end of the uh, Galut of Edom, of the Western world, um, you know, dominating us. And please, God, immediately we should see the rebuilding of the temple and us being restored back to our homeland and back to, to God in a visible way for everybody. Have a wonderful week ahead. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.